0: Hey, hi there, have a seat, you're in the right place. I'm Dawn Scannell and welcome to From Mindfuck to Mindset where we kick bullshit to the curb and get clear on what we want and where we're going. So pull on your sassy pants. And as my good friend Marshall said, you own it, you better never let it go. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. The opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Wise words, my friends, wise words. Buckle up. Okay, we're back with our conversations. Today, I have the lovely Fawn here to have a conversation with me. Um, and so I'd like to just ask you, Fawn, if you could just introduce yourself, please. Sure,
1: my name is Fawn Montaigne. Um, I moved to Dorset, Vermont from Saratoga Springs about a year and a half ago. I accepted a position with the Vermont Recovery Network and uh, relocated my family and I out here. Um, The Vermont Recovery Network provides the data platform, technical assistance, and a range of supports to the 12 peer-based recovery centers throughout Vermont Um, And we're really privileged to work beside the peer professionals who are advancing access to recovery from addiction and their own communities. Um, New York State has a bunch of recovery centers as well, and um, peer-based recovery has touched my heart in ways that nothing else really has. So I was very excited to get the invitation to um, come and talk all things
0: recovery today with you. Thank you, I have to say that um, work is much more not work when it's something that we're really passionate about and have a a great attachment to, right? Like I I don't consider my work work at all. Um, I feel like I'm very lucky to do what I enjoy (laughs)
1: so much. I, I do the compliance measures of keeping a time card and, and submitting things, but, you know, it, the work, and especially if I'm talking with other people or, or helping from a peer way like that's not, a, it, it's not to me, it, it it isn't work number one, and I don't want money for that. Um, that's not why I do what I do. I'm, you know, qualified and certified to do that as a paid individual, but that's part of my, you know, drive. That's part of why I'm able to keep my recovery in in the status that it is today is because I I don't care what time it is or if you're in Alaska or Florida, if you need help and you have my number or somehow find my number,
0: I'm going to answer and we're going to talk. That is so amazing. And I'm so happy there's people like you who that are doing this work. Um, Because when somebody finally reaches out, it's they're not coming from a pretty place, are they?
1: No, you know, it's the lowest of the lows. Not everybody has, you know, a, a low bottom debacle. But, you know, the common thread is we've done a number on the relationships that we hold um, so the people that are normally there that we would turn to seeking support are no longer able to to be that person for us we've kind of you know overstayed our welcome. In some areas, if you will, um, you know when you deal with people in recovery it's just like you know it, it's not a pity party it's completely compassionate and, and kind, but very real. Like, you know, oh, I relapsed, I need help, or or maybe it's the first time. And those, you know, those are my favorite, that's my movement um, is people coming into it the first time um, and and really um, wanting it and staying there. Um, it's not everybody's story for sure, but, you know, to be there for people when they're not at their best and, and you know, it, it's very, um, it's just humble. It's it's grace, you know. I I was touched by grace over four years ago and I continue to be touched by grace on a daily basis. And, you know, it, to keep that, you need to, you know, be able to convey that and, and be that for somebody else.
0: Yes, yes, we all need that in our lives, especially because really the hardest, I know for me, the hardest thing was saying the words out loud to someone else. Which then would hold me accountable. Right. I remember walking from one end of the house to the other and sitting down in front of my husband saying, I can't drink anymore. I can't do it from this day forward. It can't happen. And, you know, I was, it took me all these scenarios in my head about, you know, how would he react? What would he say? Where do we go from here? And in the moment, it was as simple as he looked back at me and said, Well, I don't have to drink either. Let's do this.
1: And, but for you, you know, as the trepidatious as it was in carrying that, like, you know, after you said it, do you remember those, those seconds after when you said it and how you felt?
0: Yes. 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 It was like, I I can feel it again. Right. My shoulders just thinking back on it, got lighter again, physically in my body, you know? Um, Yeah. I tell people now I have days, man. I've And it's been 16 months for me. Um, And there has only been a handful of days where I've really wrestled and said, oh, if there was a day where I was going to pick it up again, this would be the day. Um, But most days, I happily wake up and know that there really, I feel deep in my soul, there is nothing in this world that is important enough to make me take another drink. You know?
1: I, I remember being in rehab and one of the first things um, in the hospital, we were in a group and, and the woman that was facilitating the group said, you know, as part of her, they called them relapse prevention plans. Then one of the scenarios was if your mom passed away, would you need to pick up, you know? And at the time, those of us that were, you know, not ready, or, you know, very contemplative, or, you know, not ready to say there isn't one scenario, couldn't even put their minds around, you know, getting through the passing of somebody in a sober state voluntarily. And, you know, now, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, I, I can't imagine because I did it, you know, I was, you know, my use was, was short and awful and, you know, not, you know, a great number of years, but it, it was damaging. And I, I remember the difference of going through the grief process, you know, drinking and, you know, the grief process today um, and feeling, feelings is hard, but it's, it's nice
0: that I can do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because um, I can remember when I was going through my grief with my late husband Um his passing, which was fast and furious. Um, But before I I speak to that, let's speak about the times because like my usage was, I had my first beer at nine. Mm -hmm. And that was at one of my cousin's graduate, high school graduation barbecues. And my father was a very active alcoholic and I followed him around begging, begging, come on, let me have a beer. Let me have a beer until he had enough that he couldn't stand it anymore. And he said, he handed it off to me and said, here, now leave me alone. Yeah. That was my first beer. Um, and, but there's been a couple of times in my life where I have stepped away to, but never just for me about me until this time one time when um my first marriage was putting me up against a wall and I stepped away and (laughs) oddly enough that wasn't that was something he threw in my face when he left was you were a lot more fun when you were drinking (laughs) aren't we all (laughs) (laughs) right that was that was me I was like yeah well everybody is um The second time was my mother um, ultimately died of cancer, Um, but it was like five, six years. But when it got to the point where I knew there was no, there was no hope, I stopped drinking so that I could be present for all of that for her. Um, And then my late husband, um, it was fast and furious. It was eight weeks between um, diagnosis and death. But the day we knew the diagnosis, I said, okay, put it aside. I want to be here for you. Um, So, and and that grief process, you know, I kept saying to people, the only way I'm going to get through it is to get through it. Like, I can't sit here and wait for it to go away. It's not going to go away. If I don't walk through this process, I don't go through this process, this process will is still going to be standing right in front of me, waiting for me, right? Like it's your job. Um, so all that being said, we're coming into the season of triggers that do not hit us any other time of year, right? Um, where it's just, I, I sometimes feel like depending on who you're gathering with, any number of landmines are waiting for you to hit you. And the, how do we cope? Um, how do you suggest coping? Cause we cope all the rest of the year. I know that for me personally, it's very unique, these triggers. And I know they're coming every year and I think, Oh, it'll be fine. But you know, they just change the game a little bit every year and that trigger just gets to a, to a different calibration and then it, Hit you sideways again. You know, it's you're you're so
1: you know spot on with the assessment, and in recovery, you know the the blessing is really that we know, um, and and those that have you know good and strong recoveries um, know to be prepared because you're never going to know when it hits it's not this daily struggle you know after the first you know couple of weeks and months of you know am i gonna drink not drink it's really those when things have been going so good or so aesthetic for so long it's you know there's that sudden upheaval Um, And, you know, so we hope that, you know, the replacement of drinking has become with, you know, growth (laughs) and, and personal self evolution. And the natural byproducts of that is, you know, resiliency and coping mechanisms. You learn to sit with things for a little while. You learn to prepare yourself, you know, for, you know, what you think might happen, but really knowing you're preparing yourself for the unknown. And when you, you know, put enough time and energy into yourself during the days around those high trigger days, you know, everybody has a threshold and, and, you know, we do a lot of work on this in, in just my general life, you know, you have to have a a healthy amount of stress to be in a position to thrive on the norm. So you're not always, you know, at this, you know, side of a threshold where it's just kind of lackadaisical, you know, as a norm, we're all kind of just over that halfway point with the normal trudge. It's being able to monitor when we go into that sudden, you know, spike, um, how to get it back. And a lot of it is self-awareness and being able to acknowledge, you know, not denying that it's happening, number one, right? Like, so let's just say it is real. And, you know, do I have a few people that know me well enough that I can call and have and I put the mechanism in place to say, hey, you know, whether you have a sponsor or not close friend, you know, close cousin or whatever, you know, I might need to call on this day because, you know, X, Y, Z, but then having those people, because, you know, you can call them anyway, <laughs> when, you know, you have a flat tire or or forget to put gas in the tank and the other, you know, things that don't come with, you know, the preparation of, and this year is so
0: different, right? Correct. Yeah. That's in my notes.
1: (laughs) You know, so it's like, it's not just the normal, like let's get the meal ready and, and prepare that and learn how to make gravy when you're not drinking a glass of wine. How about now we're worried about what's going on in all of our loved ones' homes and the fact that we can't be with them and we want to be there. Um, you know, it. I'll back up to what you said. You were able to put down because you wanted to be present for someone else. All I hear is that you recognized you wouldn't be present and remember. You wouldn't have been there. You knew that about yourself and you gave that to yourself. So let's just, you know, plug that in because that's kudos to you. That, that's what it was. And we have to be able to do those things, whether it's holiday time or not. We have, you know, so little control around the grand scheme of things. It's, you know, the hula hoop, you know, put your hula hoop on and, and stay in it um, and do what you can to help those outside of it. But within it, it has to be a really healthy space or else, you know, the hula hoop falls and it's, Down at your ankles, you know, and it's not going to serve you any purpose. Um, You know, you can get up in the morning and and meditate, or you know, do whatever discipline and routine there is. But the bottom line is purpose, community, and connection. Does do do any of us recovery or not have those things? I don't care if you're alcoholic, if you like to smoke a joint, or if you're blowing lines. If even if you have hurts, habits, or hangups. Those are qualifying events because those of us in recovery are lucky enough that we got a substance that we could name and blame and identify. And it was tangible. It's the rest of the world out there that doesn't have that, but still goes bananas with their stressors and triggers and other things that don't have at least, you know, that, that fundamental, oh, I I know why I drank and you know, everything else. So I can avoid some things and I can avoid the things that I know trigger me. I can prepare for the things that aren't going to come and, and be able to identify boundaries around what I'm placing myself into. And then, you know, there's, you know, the out, I'm going to go, I'm going to, you know, do it, but I'm going to have a car or I'm going to have, you know, somebody to call or a ride on the ready to, you know, help me go. But those, you know, that's the three very realistic ways of looking at things.
0: Right. I uh, that was something I got used to because I didn't know until I was fully out of it this time without uh, focus, like, you know, a a marriage failing, a mom dying or a husband dying. This time was different. And I I was face to face with the fact and the knowledge that I have severe social anxiety. Right. (laughs) And I was like, oh, wow. okay. And I, I, I again, had a a conversation with my husband. Okay, we're going to our high school reunion. Like it was two weeks after I had stopped drinking. I said, we're driving an hour and a half to this. I need to know that if it gets to a place where I say, "Um, honey, we need to go. I mean, we need to go. I need to know that you're going to do that for me. You're going to pull that trigger so that I'm not spinning and, and stuck. Um, and he was like, really? I was like, yes, really, please. (laughs) It didn't happen, but probably it didn't happen because I knew I had that safety valve Mm -hmm. at any moment. If I felt like I needed to run, I could turn to him and say, honey, we need to go. And we would go. Um, But even, you know, going out to live music events, which pre-COVID we do an average of two times a month. Um, Even that was, you know, it was people felt like they were on top of me. And getting through those things sober enough times where it became normal again, right? Even just going out to dinner with my husband. Like, we used to go and sit at the bar, watch TV, chat with the bartender, right? Um, Now we're sitting at a table, no alcohol involved. We didn't know how to do it at first. (laughs) Doesn't that sound ridiculous? But it was, like, really awkward for a certain amount of time. Now it's like nothing again because we've learned how to do it. But there's so many things that you don't think about, like, And they could potentially be the things that make you change your mind about what you're trying to do for yourself, right? And let's come back to this year has been a year. This year has been a decade. Um, So anybody who's had past trauma that filters into our addictions, right? And now if we could all understand that all of us right now are living through trauma, right? This whole year has been trauma for everybody. And that's not overstating the emotions, I think. Um, So all these layers of trauma that are past trauma, the current trauma, everything that's happening. Can you speak to that at all and unravel that for us a little bit? You got to tend to the soil. You know, I
1: I fall to our, you know, Native American kind of Recovery philosophies on this one, because you know, not there's enough people I know that you know are, are very big proponents of trauma was not a part of my usage. You know, it, it's a low number. It's a low number, but it's out there, and you know, I can't you know be one of the people that say 100% of you know addiction related issues are are trauma related. However there's variations of trauma and, and trauma does not have to be, I was molested or raped, or I went through some big life event. Trauma could be my parents divorced, or I hurt my knee playing, you know, elementary softball or, or soccer and was on, you know, prescriptive medication at a young age and exposed to something that, you know, set off my neurology. And like, I liked that, Um, you know, there's, so many different variations of what trauma is, but you look at, you know, this is more going to be along the lines of that generational trauma. Um, And we look at what happened with Native American populations as they were Americanized um, and, and how they've had to, you know, it was traumatic for these children to be removed from their villages and have their hair cut and removed from their families and then reinstored and everything else. And we see that you know the impact isn't felt immediately. It's like the generation after, and maybe after that, the Holocaust was another um, example where we've you know kind of seen this. So um, I, I'm really appreciative that it takes all kinds of kinds to make the world go round. Um, And there's some people that are really passionate about ensuring that, you know, we value that this time is traumatic for everybody Um, because for as many people that are going to deny um, that that's the reality, um, there will be those of us, you know, on the sidelines kind of tending to the soil and, and looking at the children of today and the older folks of today and making sure that there's some more community and connection woven within there in that we're checking in on people and, and that, oh, I'm doing okay, isn't enough. Like, can we get somebody to say, you know, two or three sentences, you know, a few times a week, um, check in on people, you know, trauma is, you can help in so many different ways as people are experiencing it. And that connection of just having somebody reach out and not knowing that it was coming at that time can be a brief intervention. Um, you know, there's beautiful things in recovery centers and in the clinical world today of, you know, lots of ways to deal with a post-traumatic stress disorder and um, very natural, effective ways to deal with things, you know, not medication related, um, but you have to acknowledge that you have it um, and then ask for the help and go and get it. So in the meantime, there has to be enough of us people just, you know, on the sidelines knowing that, yeah, this is, you know, we see it coming and there's a dynamic amount of people in the, health and wellness world and the holistic space and the clinical space that are, you know, keeping, you know, this very much in the forefront of where our attention needs to be, because it's not over. Um, There's still going to be a period after this.
0: Correct. Yeah. And I've been saying for months now, like the children, like, you know, the the very young children who. Like what kind of trauma is this inflicting on them that they can't hug people, see their little friends and stuff like, and their brains are so, you know, not formed to handle this kind of information or process it in any way. And I'm thinking, oh, we're going to have an entire generation of, of really broken children, right? Like, uh, you know,
1: and I'm all about, you know, family unification and, and it's, it's, great with a white picket fence and if you have the time and and many of us do but you know let's get real our kids see exactly who we are in our homes and our kids know if we've been day drinking and our kids know if we went out and we had a phone call that was disruptive or disturbing with an unhealthy individual and our kids are are very well aware of when we're tense and when things are off and if there's, you know, homes and and many of us have homes that are not, you know, picture perfect 24 seven. And if there's young children in there, these are more hours, you know, where they're subject to that without that community outlet, um, a space to be creative, a space to bond with other people to learn, you know, those safety nets. And it's unfortunate, But it's no different, Dawn, than so many of us. It's just a different time. You know, any of us that, you know, currently have any issues probably lack some of those things at some level. But, you know, social media news and everybody's ability to communicate so much um, brings it more visible now. I I just wish that we used all these technology-related things for better purposes, um, kind of like what you're doing today. So thank you.
0: Yes, and that's what's so important to me. You keep bringing up community and con- connection. And where's my little my little card? Did I put it back up? Oh, here it is. So are you familiar with Danielle Laporte? No. Okay, she did this book and it's called um, uh, Desire Mapping. And she has all these questions that you go through and you figure out what your core desired feelings are, right? So that you can bring those, that feeling into your life at any time. And mine are joy, passion, humility, connection, community, and grace, right? So you can use them to make decisions for yourself. Like, should I do this? Well, you, you just run down your little list. Will it bring me joy? Will it bring me passion, connection, community? If it's not leaning towards any of those things, it's probably not a good idea for me to take this on. Um, it keeps you really honest with what you want your life to feel like. Um, but it's interesting to me that you keep bringing up connection and community several times now as something that those of us who have dealt with addictions, we need that to keep us strong. And there it is right there. <laughs> That's two of my core desired feelings.
1: It's so ironic. Um, my background prior to recovery was um, executive assistant in the nonprofit sector for almost you know, 15 years. And then I transitioned into... Um, the biopharmaceutical manufacturing space and regulatory compliance um, and support, and so I've had a lot of corporate um, and you know kind of business like I uh, wouldn't call it self-help, but leadership development, continuous quality improvement, and after coming into recovery, and I you know despise the twelve-step program that I affiliate with now um, <laughs> because I, I have a real convinced. problem
0: with it too. It just doesn't it doesn't work for yeah. me.
1: Yeah, I, I felt, you know, so much was um cultish or I had to convert in some way. And honestly, if you take any spirituality component of away and just look to steps in literature, it's the root of all these other, you know, spin-off kind of, you know, leadership development and betterment and self-improvement things. And um I just pulled up uh, the Brene Brown values chart. Um, you know, and so I hand this out when I do work with folks and I, I use that exercise, like, you know, it's, it's pick three. Can you really just pick three or really can you get down to one? Like, can you identify your one value? Um, and that's really, really difficult, but it's important. Um, and you know, this kind of comes with the, the self-improvement through recovery or, or non-recovery, but, learning what values and feelings are learning that anger is a secondary emotion. It's a combination of things, you know, angered, isn't just a go-to just like happy, isn't a go-to like, you know, these are combination effects and it's, it's important to know your words. Um, and language is so important. Um, yeah. And values are, you know, I had it, um, I was the site director at uh, Healing Springs Recovery and Outreach Center mm-hmm. in Saratoga Springs before um, coming to Vermont. And it's it's just what I had on the wall. You know, we had one sign that said, how could we help with your recovery today? And, and right below that, it, it was the three-part equation, you know, for recovery. It was purpose plus community plus connection. Um, and I've carried that, you know, into the work here in Vermont. And it's it's nothing I created. It's, it's just really... Good sound
0: <laughs>
1: math in my book. I was never good at math, but this is one equation I can do.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah. Uh, um, emotions are are my favorite math as well, um, and making all those connections and, like you said, knowing your words um, is really important too. Because I, it's when you're not falling back on how you used to bury your words, right? When you get into those difficult conversations, my husband and I just yesterday, you know, he pulled, you know, set off a trigger in me and I get to that place and it's like, I have to step back and I have to breathe for a minute and I have to really come from the place of, okay, he didn't pull the trigger on purpose, right? Who would want to step into this? So how do I communicate now so that he understands that I don't blame him for pulling the trigger, right? Triggers are going to happen, but this is what you just saw. And this is what you just heard. And let's just, can we talk about it? It doesn't, it's so hard because I don't want that, my reactions to become the focus, right? Because really, The conversation that we were having is the important conversation, and we need to get back to that healthily. It's work. And I I, I'm not and it's never done. And I'm not saying this in a victim-like way. I think that it's something that needs to be said so that when other people are there too, they you you you're not not getting it right. It's just hard for this time.
1: It, you know, it resonates so much. I was on a phone call with um, my computer web marketing folks uh, right before this meeting. And he had never disclosed that he was a person in recovery or that he has family members and everything else. And he was talking to me about his brother um, and how this Thanksgiving is really different. And they've been trying to be supportive and all this other stuff. And, you know, before he told me that he was in recovery, I said, you know, I said, not everybody realizes what it's like for a person in recovery to get up and start their day and everything that it really kind of takes additionally to, you know, that that norm of, you know, being able to interact and, and deal with people, um, loved ones, you know, work folks, just general community. I said, so I said, if your assessment is that your brother's doing well and he's doing good, I said, I want you to know he's doing really, really great. He's doing really great. And then he said, yeah, you know, he said my recovery was completely different. He's like, you know, I basically, you know, had a medical issue. The doctor said, You know, (laughs) you can drink and die or you can stop. And he's like, it's been over five years. I didn't think about it. And it's like, well, were you an alcoholic? You know, it's that that's the real question. His brother has, you know, other issues. But that was, you know, the question is, you know, it, it wasn't a question. It was a statement. And it was the acknowledgement that, you know, yeah, it takes extra. It's a lot of extra. I get up a little extra in the morning. I know what I have to do extra around my normal routine um, to support my family and my job and everything else to take care of me so that I'm the person that other people recognizes and can identify with, (laughs) Um, you know, so I'm not that that monstrous, you know, we we don't want to go there.
0: Right, right. But it's always there
1: Um, (laughs) for me. It's like it's like grief dawn and it's like anything else in this bullshit hold on pain and screw you. It does not. It evolves. It takes a different shape. It's it's false advertisement. If you think that this is, you know, going to be. Great. Plenty of shit happens to me on the norm. I mean, I'm running an organization that lost a tremendous amount of funding. I'm supporting centers that have lost funding and resources. My kids are 15 and 17. I'm a single parent. I could, you know, jump on that box all day of identify me and start me a GoFundMe page. But you know what? I, I got a phone call. Um <laughs> A couple of weeks ago from my ex-husband, who, you know, hasn't heard or seen that from us in like five years. And he was clearly drunk because it was 1.30 in the morning. And I said, you know, the the best thing that you could know is that everything that I have today was, you know, the conscious choice to not be with you. And, And my alcoholism didn't kick in until, you know, almost 10 years after we were already divorced. So it's just a matter of, you know, you have to be able to be resilient enough to take care of yourself and, and know what you need Um, recovery or non-recovery, you know, just, I think as women that we need to be able to stand on our own two feet and then being women in recovery, you know, it takes a lot to ask for help. And it takes a lot for us to put the needs of our kids and everything else, the things that we do into such a bubble to ask for that help. You know, when we get it, it hold on to it. It really matters. Like, you know, and, and people make mistakes and I'm not, I'm only speaking for myself. For me, when I was really ready and all in, like, you know, I live it all day. I I don't need to blow sunshine up your ass about apologies and everything else. You can look at my life. You can look at what I do. And that's what I told my family um, and my children when I came into recovery that, you know, I'm going to just show you every day, the kind of person that
0: I am. Right. Right. Um, And, and I'd also like to speak to as women, we also deal with our natural, our natural state is to nurture all the things, right? We nurture ourselves last most of all, but Mm -hmm. there's also, I feel like as a woman, There are things that people want me to put up with or take on that are not conducive to staying in my recovery bubble. And they think that there is nothing wrong with like, but that's your cousin or, and you know how they are. You've lived with them your whole life. You just have to put up with it. No, you need to go to the event. When I am screaming inside saying, I cannot go to this event and love myself, right? If I love myself and I want myself to be successful and have my head on my shoulders tomorrow in a really good way, I cannot subject myself to this. That puts you in a very hard position and, it, and, and puts you in that position where people think now, It's not about your recovery that you've become like being a non-smoker saying, oh, you know, lecturing people. It's not, I'm not telling you where to go. I'm not telling you how to handle these people. I'm telling you what I need for my own well-being is to not go and not associate right now with this person. I'm not saying they're a horrible person. I'm not saying any of these things. How, how do we handle those things? Because I come up against that. And that's the hardest thing for me directly. It, it, you know, that's the biggest thing is, you
1: know, and especially if it's somebody who has known you throughout your recovery and claims to be somebody who supports your recovery. I remind them of that. Um my mother hates that we don't have family holidays. My sister and I have not spoken since I've come into recovery. We have two different positions on it. Our children, you know, are are not close like they used to be. And I got a lot of guilt trips over holidays and funerals and different things. And there are some things, funerals are one thing that I will never miss. Nobody will ever stand in my way of my ability or, or my desire to go and say goodbye to somebody I hold dear. Nearly every other occasion or, or social interaction, there, there is not one thing in the world that is worth me regretting time I just gave to somebody and being miserable or not feeling good about myself or resentful, you know, avoiding resentments are a huge thing. Um, and being able to acknowledge that is a boundary. If, if you have a boundary that I, I don't care if they're blood related or not. And that's really difficult for people to to understand. Um, yes, but it's it one is. of the most important invaluable ones, because you cannot be well, where you got ill, and you cannot stay well, where it's unhealthy and this unrealistic selfish need for other people to have everybody in one area, knowing that everybody is miserable and don't wanna be there and what they're really thinking and who's gonna have that extra drink and who are you waiting for to go off and who's gonna be the first one to leave. All those scenarios are avoided when I'm not present. And then I can hear it was a great time and say, Congratulations. Or I can hear it was an awful time and say, You know, I'm glad I was doing whatever I chose to be, but I will no longer be subject to people pleasing. Or if it doesn't have to do with my ability to perform and, and receive a paycheck, um, there's very little that's going to get into my way of my boundaries um, in any decisions that I've made. And even when it comes to my job, if there's something that I you know, am uncomfortable with, I do seek out support and guidance. And I talk to my board or others and let them know how and why I'm feeling. I I did not invest the time in myself. I didn't lose the life I had. And I mean, really lost the life that I had to have the second chance and not make the most of it. And, and there's not any person in the world that I, I value more than my peace of mind to give that to.
0: Thank you. I think it's really important for people to hear this. I know it's important for me to hear it on an ongoing basis, you know? It doesn't Even change how- passes.
1: I've never seen, I've never ever, after this experience has happened personally or with someone that I'm mentoring or working with, where they elected not to go to an event And there was a standing resentment or something got worse from them not attending 80% of the time it was a shit show and their presence wasn't even missed, or it only mattered to the person that was asking them to go, not the group. You know, if you are not the person hosting the event, you know, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. That's, you know, nobody does things because of us, you know, they do that because of themselves and, you know, just, take your ego out of it. You're really just not that relevant. We're all a bunch of ants. No one of us has that power. So right. you know you're, you're not all that on the day of the special occasion where that occasion is going to be made or broken because of your presence. So right. they're listening. You're just not all
0: that. Go make a cup of coffee and send a card. Correct. Correct. Because that event is not about me, ultimately. (laughs) So whoever the event is about may have a passing thought, maybe not even on that day that I was there or not. But but I think, yeah, it's very important because as women, we get tugged so many places and um, boundaries are valid, needed, and um, are to be respected. Yeah. And, you know, value the relationship,
1: you know, if you can appreciate or or whomever out there is in this scenario and can appreciate that you want to be somewhere, but you can't, like you you're making that struggle, reach out to the host or whoever that person is being celebrated and, you know, you know, send, send flowers, send, you know, an extra message, let them know that, you know, you, you love them no less right now. You just need to really love yourself more to keep what you have. Right. Right. And who wouldn't understand that? and and, right. If you Um, receive that phone call, that's, that's the first thing, you know, you got to put yourself in the receiver's position. If if you were hosting something and somebody called you and said, look, uncle Jack is coming and you just, you you know how it goes. Honestly, what are you going to say? Are you going to be like, Oh, we'll keep Jack in the corner. Don't worry about it. You're going to miss out. Are you going to be like, you know what? Yeah. You've had your runs over the years. Like, you know, you want to get together for, for pie or leftovers after.
0: (laughs) There's always another way. Right. Right. Um, Is there anything else you want to speak to that you think is a really important that needs to be said?
1: Yeah, today. nobody brings you a casserole when your your parents or your kid's an addict. I mean, like, let's talk about things on the norm. Everybody asks how everybody else's family members are doing. If there's a health condition, right, don't leave out the people that aren't present, especially the children of. If you're sitting with your sisters and brothers, it's not the day to rag on the family members that aren't there because of bad decisions. Better use that time to find out how your loved one is doing. You know, how are they handling things? Talk about things they haven't had the opportunities to get their minds off of it. You know, it doesn't have to be a a deep thing, but when's the last time somebody asked them what kind of perfume they like or, you know, what was their favorite flower in the garden this year? Um, It just, you know, it needs to be normalized because there's too many. Um, I stopped keeping track, honestly, after about 20 people I, I know. Have passed away over COVID um, related to either suicide or addiction related issues. It, it It's my, you know, I, I'm just more, you know, in. I think that the ratio of people, you know, susceptible <laughs> to these things in my life are higher than those. So I don't think it's a norm, but it, we have to be there for one another. There, there's no magic cure coming. The cure is connection and community, honesty, and, and love, just, you know, love thy neighbor and, and make it real.
0: Right. Okay. So the, the, the whole, my conversations with friends comes from that place, Yeah. but on my little dead end road, how do I reach out to my neighbors in a safe way? Cause it's not like I can knock on the door and have a conversation right now. Cause COVID, but yeah. how, how, how do we make those inroads and those connections with people. There's people on my road. I've been here six years. I don't know by name. How do I say, hey, how are you doing?
1: Boy, you know, in, in your little neighborhood, if it were me, I'd be out there like delivering baked goods from a socially distanced place. Okay, because that's exactly what I wanted to yes, do. <laughs> yeah, I would be like hand, I mean, you you know, I bake because we're friends outside of here. But I mean, I have shipped more boxes of cookies and different things. Um, but just like little, you know, very safely wrapped, you know, and, and you can, you can knock and back off and leave it for them and stand on their stoop and say, Hey, you know, it's been a year for me, I just wanted to come out and say hi. Awesome. And I'm seeing, you know, we really need stickers that say your recovery is welcome here, like plastered all over the place, um, businesses, houses and everything else. But then you can, you know, that's how those, um, rainbow chase the rainbow and, and find the heart thing started, but, you know, get to know your neighbors, leave on a certain color light in a window at night. If you need something and, you know, notes bring back leaving notes, you know, <laughs> thinking of
0: you. That's a good idea. I think the whole, um, the little dropping of a cute little package of baked goods along with a note saying, if you need me, here's how to reach me. If you know, you don't have access to food or whatever, and you need something, please reach out. If I can't help you, I have resources. Yeah. Let's, let's. I think that's a great thing to do. And I certainly look forward to being on the other side. And I would love to have on my little dead end road, have a block party where we just all bring a table out to the middle of the street and make a big table and everybody bring in their food and finally get to know each other on more than a wave as we drive by basis. I think that's the biggest pull I have from this ongoing century now of a year (laughs) of not being able to reach out and touch anyone i remember
1: growing up and i think you know it's completely generational and time has just taken so much away from the norms but you know we used to live in the village of scotia and everybody would be out on their porches in the morning um having coffee together and just riding the bikes up and down the street and yeah like having those like little gatherings but um it's cultivating community. so just bring it back. you got nothing but time
0: right now exactly. I'll make a plan also baking those baked goods totally yeah don't always it. go over well exactly and, uh, but, uh, I was like, well, maybe not everybody likes food as much as you, Joan. <laughs> but I, it's always I, my
1: go too I, I could differ yeah and if
0: not, they can give it to somebody so it's the thought that counts. There you go. They'll still get the note. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to say in closing today? I just thank you so
1: much for, you know, um, starting up this initiative and, and reaching out. It's great to see you. I'm sorry that we haven't connected, you know, outside of the Zoom world, but we'll stay safe for a little while longer. And um, New York State is just, you know, um, wonderfully outfitted with recovery centers. And if you would like to support the work that I do, uh, Vermont Recovery Network is the entity that I work with. And um, we are completely um, grant and and nonprofit funded. So please do reach out. The support goes directly to people in recovery.
0: Awesome. I want to thank you so much for being so willing to jump into this conversation with me. I really pick the people that i want to have the conversations with carefully and i start at like my my top person i'd love to have the conversation with and i was so happy when people were like yeah let's do it i was like oh i don't even have to go down a list this is awesome so no, thank you for that thank you so much for being willing to have this conversation with me you've left your details but if anybody Didn't write that down. You know how to find me, dawnscanell.com. Reach out and I'll put you in touch with Vaughn. We'll do what we need to do. Have a wonderful turkey day. Gobble to your wobble. (laughs) I'll be doing that and thinking of you. (laughs) Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Vaughn. Thank you so much for joining us today on From Mind Fuck to Mindset. Please hit that subscribe button. You can also find me on YouTube under Dawn Scannell and you can subscribe there too. You can watch me as well as listen. How cool is that? So you can also find me on Facebook. Into the search bar, just type in the at symbol, no bullshit reset. And that'll take you to my page to find my community group it's called Fabulously Flawed. So if you put that in the search engine, you will find the group and you can apply to join that group. It's a group of lovely ladies and we're all trying to get our shit together in there. So come join us. You can never have too much shit. All right, where else can you find Dawn Scannell? You can find me under dawnscannell.com. That's my website and I've always got some freebie or another that I'm giving away on there. So go get yourself some of that. Until next time...